On today's story session, a tale about how being judgmental gets your family turned into birds. This is The Six Swans. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. Shadow Bear Story Sessions, the podcast about how brutally dark and totally insane folk tales and fairy tales used to be, which in my opinion, just made them way better and more entertaining. So I've got the most true-to-the-original version of Grimm's fairy tales that I could find, and we're going through it front-to-back, story-by-story. We'll figure out the difference between the intended lessons of each story and the actual, literal lessons of each story, and at the end of each episode, I'll adapt the tale into a movie or TV show. Let's get right to it with today's tale titled, The Six Swans. We begin. A king went hunting in a vast forest, got lost, and couldn't find his way out. (laughs) I will never tire of how these folk tales just immediately get to the action. Finally, (laughs) I've never seen the word finally one sentence into a story. That's how quick these stories start. They've covered so much ground in the first sentence that they're already saying finally. Finally, he came upon a witch and asked her to show him the way out of the forest. However, the witch told him she wouldn't do it. He had to remain there and would lose his life. That's mean witch right there. He could only be saved if he married her daughter. Ah, the old blackmail marriage. Sure, that'll lead to a healthy relationship for the rest of their lives. The king cherished his life, and he was so frightened, he said yes. So the witch brought the maiden to him. Though she was young and beautiful, he couldn't look at her without getting the creeps and secretly shuddering. (laughs) I like that. The story is like, she was hot, but creepy. However, he intended to keep his promise. Then the old woman led both of them on the right path out of the forest, and once they were at the king's home, the witch's daughter became his wife. Now the king still had seven children from his first wife. Is the first wife dead? Or do they just have to sort of shuffle her off to the side with this new witch because of the deal that they made? Unaddressed. King had seven children from his first wife, six boys, and a girl. And since he was afraid the stepmother might harm them, he brought them to a castle in the middle of the forest. Damn, he is so creeped out by this witch's daughter that he's imprisoning his children in the forest. Just because she's kind of creepy doesn't mean she'd hurt the kids, though. Some people just aren't that great in social situations or might come off as creepy. For a variety of reasons. I mean, she's been living in solitude with her witch mother in the forest for her entire life. She's going to be a little creepy. Give her a chance, though, King. Give her a chance. It lay so well concealed, nobody knew the way to it. And he himself would not have found it if a wise woman had not given him a ball of yarn. When he threw the ball before him, the yarn unwound itself and showed him the way. Huh. That's pretty cool. Magic ball of yarn. Never heard that before. Since the king loved his children very much, he frequently went to the castle. 
However, the queen became curious and wanted to know why he was going out into the forest all alone. She interrogated the servants, and they revealed the entire secret. The first thing she did was use her cunning and acquire the ball of yarn. Then she took seven small shirts and went out into the forest. The ball of yarn showed her the way, and when the six little princes saw her coming from the distance, they were delighted because they thought their father was coming and ran out to her. But all at once she threw a shirt over each one of them, and as soon as they were touched by the shirts, they were turned into swans and flew away over the forest. Damn, that is brutal, witch maiden. I do gotta say, though, she probably wouldn't have done this if the king hadn't kept his children a secret from her and hid them away from her. Because that makes it seem like he's plotting something. It sounds like the witch maiden is just more mad that he was doing this secret shit behind her back and plotting to keep things from her. That's a lesson right there, actually. Sometimes the lie or the cover-up itself is the problem. If he just kept his kids with him and introduced her like, Hey, these are my kids. Meet your new hot, creepy mom. And he'd been nice about it. I bet this wouldn't have happened. She didn't have anything against the kids until she found out the king was keeping them a secret from her. Yeah, that's shady. And I don't know how keeping them secret ever would have worked out. Everyone knew the king had seven children. Was he keeping them secret their whole lives? No, it's just right when this queen showed up. So that means everyone in the kingdom would have known the king had seven children that randomly disappeared. Someone would have mentioned them to or around the witch maiden at some point. Can't keep that a secret forever. This was a stupid plan to begin with, king. This whole situation is the king's fault. Granted, she's not handling it super great by turning them into swans, but still, we continue. Now the queen thought she had gotten rid of all her stepchildren and returned home. So the maiden, who had remained in her room, was saved. Did she not count the kids that ran out? Because she brought seven shirts. So, so that would mean one of the shirts didn't touch anybody. Pretty big oversight from the queen here. Also, how did she get the shirts onto each person? That would take a long time to like force seven people into a shirt. Like run to one, run to the other. It's pretty easy to prevent someone from putting a shirt on you. After that first shirt touches a guy and turns him into a swan, everyone's just going to scatter at that point. Or just tackle her. That would be chaos. There's no way she'd be able to pull this off. Unless she, like, threw them all at once, and just the second they touched them. And that, then they turned. I don't know the logistics here. Kind of glossed over. In any event, major oversight from the queen here. The next day, the king went to the castle in the forest, and she told him what had happened and showed him the swan feathers that had fallen down from her six brothers into the courtyard. The king was horrified, but couldn't believe that the queen had done such an evil deed. At the same time, he was worried that the princess might also be stolen away from him, so he wanted to take her with him. However, she was afraid of her stepmother and begged the king to allow her to spend one more night in the castle. Then, during the night, she fled and went deeper into the forest. She walked the entire day, and toward evening she came to a hut. Once she entered, she found a room with six small beds. Since she was now tired, she lay herself down beneath one of the beds and wanted to spend the night there. Beneath one of the beds, 
just lay on one of the beds. Yet at sunset, six swans came flying through the window, landed on the floor, and blew on each other until all of their feathers were blown off as if some cloth had slipped from them. And there stood her six brothers. Oh. So they're fine? Because if they just blew on each other and turned back into humans, then it sounds like the queen just gave them the ability to turn into swans and fly around. Which is actually fucking awesome. She turned them into superheroes, basically. She did them a favor and gave them magic powers, as far as I'm concerned. She crawled out from beneath the bed, and their brothers were both glad and distressed to see her again. You can't stay here, they said. This is a robber's den. When they come home from their marauding, they live here. We can take off our swan skins for only a quarter of an hour every evening and assume our human form during this time. Well, that's nice that they were allowed that, although I'm guessing that's just a plot device so that they could convey this information to their sister. Then it's all over. If you want to rescue us, you must sew six little shirts made out of asters. But during this time, you're not allowed to speak or laugh. Otherwise, all your work will be for naught. How do they know this? How do they know these rules? Who told them this? Did the witch shout this as they were flying away? They're just guessing. Who knows? As the brothers were speaking, the quarter of an hour expired. And once again, they were transformed into swans. The next morning, however, the maiden gathered asters, perched herself on a branch of a tall tree, and began to sew. She didn't speak a word or laugh. She just sat there and concentrated on her work. Okay, why'd she go up a tree? You think that would make it a lot harder to sew? Being perched on a tree, especially when you're sewing little things like asters, those are f like flower petals, right? Also, what about the robbers in the robber's den? Did they come back? Where did the maiden stay? Because the swans told her she couldn't stay there. Like, you gotta get out of here. Are the brothers still hanging out with her as swans in their swan forms? Did they fly away? Who knows? After she had been there for some time, the king who owned this land went hunting and came to the tree where the maiden was perched. His hunters called to her and told her to come down. But because she was not permitted to answer them, she wanted to satisfy them by throwing them presents. So she threw them her golden necklace. Yet they continued to call out. So she threw them her girdle. And when this didn't work either, she threw down her garters, and little by little everything that she had on, and could do without until she had nothing left but her little shift. Still, all this was not enough for the hunters. Why would... I, I am completely baffled by her logic here. Why would she think that throwing her clothing and underwear at the hunters would make them go away? If you saw a woman in a tree and were like, Come down! And she responded by stripping and throwing her clothes at you, no logical person would be like, Well, this makes sense. She's throwing her clothes at us, so we'll go away. All right, see you later. They'd be like, This woman is obviously disturbed and in distress. We should help her. She could have easily just climbed down and either written them a note or used hand gestures to convey that she can't speak. That would make a lot more sense here than getting naked and throwing down your clothes. Or I guess, I think, going down to your shift. I think that's like your underwear. But yeah, that would make a lot more sense just to go down and convey, try to convey what's going on. 
than getting naked and throwing down your clothes. If a woman wants a bunch of men to leave, stripping is not the way to accomplish that. She's taking off each item and tossing it down one by one. That's like a striptease at this point. Obviously, they're not going to leave. They're going to be like, well, I mean, we should see where this goes, probably, right? They climbed the tree, carried her down, and led her by force to the king, who was astonished by her beauty. He covered her with his cloak, lifted her onto his horse, and brought her to his home. Even though she was mute, he loved her with all his heart, and she became his wife. Alright, this is ridiculous. This is like the third story where a king has found a naked mute woman in the forest and married her. Not a great message there. Not a good message of these stories to be basically saying, be naked and hot and don't talk. That's what men like, right? It's pretty fucked up. It's pretty fucked up right there. Also, the brothers were like, you can't stay here. It's a robber's den. And then that never comes up. She does stay there and everything is fine until the king and his hunters show up. And there were six small beds in the robber's den, which would seem to correlate to the six little little uh, swans, right? So are they just coincidentally also six robbers that happen to be very small? Because that's weird. Or were the six swans staying there, and they just didn't want to live with their sister, so they made up the robber story to try and scare her off, which didn't end up working. We continue... Now the king's mother was angry about all of this and spoke ill of the young queen. Nobody knew where the wench came from. Don't be calling her a wench. And she wasn't worthy of the king. When the queen gave birth to her first child, the old mother-in-law took the child away and smeared the queen's mouth with blood while she was asleep. That is fucked up right there. Then she accused the young queen of having eaten her own child and of being a sorceress. This is the exact same thing that happened in one of the other stories. I think it was, I think it was the Virgin Mary's child, if I'm not mistaken. A king found a naked mute maiden in the forest and married her, which his mom was pissed about. So the mom accused the maiden of being an ogress and eating her child. It was an ogress in that one. This one's a sorceress. That is an insanely specific theme to repeat in multiple folktales. Another thing, how much time has passed here? She had a child? Couldn't she have finished the shirts made out of flowers by now? If I'm one of her six swan brothers, I'd be like, you think she's still working on those shirts, guys? I mean, I feel like she forgot about us. At this point, we could just work on the shirts ourselves for 15 minutes a day. We each make one shirt, boom, problem solved. There are six of us. We could work six times as fast. And she really doesn't seem like she cares much at this point. She's having kids. She's getting on with her life. She's a queen. She moved on. They only have to be little shirts. Guys, we can do this. We can do this. However, because of his great love for his wife, the king refused to believe this. Sometime later, the queen gave birth to a second prince. This is going on forever. And the godless mother-in-law played the same trick and accused the queen of cannibalism again. Since the queen wasn't allowed to talk, and had to sit there mute and work on the six little shirts, she couldn't save herself, and was sentenced to burn at the stake. Oh my god, just just talk and start the shirts over. Just go to the king and be like, look, I gotta make these shirts, which is why I can't talk. It's a whole thing. Don't worry about it. I'm actually a princess also, so I'm totally worthy of marrying you, if that'll 
appease your mother. Just tell your mom that so she'll calm the fuck down. Because she is insane, and she keeps taking our children and smearing blood on my face. I don't know where she's taking her these kids. Also, just tell her to cut this shit out, alright? Now I've talked, so I have to start the shirts over, but just give me some time, maybe enlist some help, so I can make these shirts faster, and just let me not talk for a while. Yeah, call, get some servants to help me with these fucking shirts. We knock this out in a few days, like 20 servants. Man. Then again, maybe the, the king would lose interest if she spoke. Maybe her being mute is the whole reason he likes her. Can't she write, though? I mean, literacy wasn't as prevalent in olden times, but she was a princess. A princess would have learned to read and write, probably, right? The very least she could learn, now that she's queen, she's got a big incentive to learn how to write. Alright, we continue. She is sentenced to burn at the stake. The day came when the sentence was to be carried out. It was exactly the last day of the six years, and she had managed to finish sewing the six shirts. It's been six years? Man, she took her sweet time with that, didn't she? I mean, I know it's probably hard to make shirts out of flowers, but they're little shirts. You can do better than one a year. She definitely could have learned to write in that time. Man, only the left sleeve of the last shirt was missing. Okay, so she didn't finish the six shirts. When she was led to the stake, she took the six shirts with her, and when she stood on the pile of wood and the fire was about to be lit, she saw the six swans flying through the air until they descended right near her. So she threw the shirts over them, and as soon as the shirts touched them, the swan skins fell off and her six brothers stood before her in the flesh. Only the sixth one was missing his left arm. Instead, he had a swan's wing on his shoulder. <laughs> oh, I would be so pissed if I was the one that didn't get an arm. I, I mean... Also, this means they could have transformed back one at a time. After she completed each shirt, she didn't need to complete all of the shirts for them to transform, clearly. If the one managed to turn back even when the shirt wasn't even completed, just had a, had a swan arm, you could have turned them back one at a time. After she completed the first shirt, one of the brothers could have transformed back into a human and explained the whole thing. That way, the last brother wouldn't have had to transform back and have a fucking bird's wing for an arm. You know how useless a bird's wing is on a fully-sized human body? He can't fly, because now he's a human and weighs too much, so he's just got a useless wing for an arm. Man, I pity this fella. Who? Now she could speak once again and told everyone how her mother-in-law had slandered her in such a wicked way. This happened right after the flames reached her, so I'm guessing she just started screaming about this really, really quickly. Hopefully they got that, that fire out quickly. The flames were already reaching her. My god. Consequently, the old woman was tied to the stake and burned to death. However, the young queen lived with the king and her six brothers a long time in great joy. The end. What about their dad, the original king, and the witch queen? What's going on there? We totally abandoned that storyline. What's been happening there for the last six years? So these kids just just totally moved on, forgot about their dad and his witch wife, and are just getting on with their lives in the next kingdom over, <laughs> I guess? 
I mean, they could definitely visit their dad now. At the very least, the dad probably heard about these six swans turning into men the next kingdom over and was like, you know, my sons were turned into six swans six years ago. That's That's got to be them, right? Can't have it very often. What, what What the hell has been happening in that kingdom for those six years? His children were completely lost to him, and he had to live with the hot witch who creeps him out. How did that relationship develop? Did she do any more evil shit, or was she just mad that he kept that secret from her and lied to her, but otherwise she's been nice and is a good queen? That's a possibility. That'd be a super interesting story, seeing how their relationship and kingdom turned out after these events. Because yeah, turning the kids into swans was super fucked up and evil on its own, but it was a reaction to the betrayal of him not trusting her to know that he had kids. I mean, what is that? That's weird, King. It's a weird move. I do totally, partially blame the King for this. Not entirely, definitely partially. But having a queen with magic powers could definitely be a hugely beneficial thing, even if she happens to be a little creepy. Could do a lot of shit with a magic queen for a kingdom. Maybe she's just like that and can't help it. Maybe she's just kind of creepy. He never really gave her a chance. I have no idea what the intended lessons are here, but I think that's the first lesson that I'm going to take. Don't judge people based on appearance. Gotta give them a chance for judging them. The king judges the witch maiden based on appearances. Just the fact that he's like, she's kind of creepy. And the king's mother judges the princess based on appearances. That she was naked and found in a tree. To be honest, if the king's mother knew that the king met her when he saw her in a tree... And for no reason, she randomly started stripping and throwing her clothes to his men. That's actually something to base an opinion off of. If your son shows up and is like, I met this girl on the street. We saw her in a bush. And she just randomly started taking her clothes off and giving them to me and my friends. I'm going to marry her. You would have some doubts. You'd have questions. I mean, kidnapping your grandchild and accusing the woman of cannibalism is definitely an insane overreaction and super fucked up in that circumstance, so I won't defend that decision. But I'm, I'm going to say the lesson of don't judge someone based on appearances applies here across the board. The next lesson, sometimes keeping a secret in itself is a betrayal. The king keeps his kid's secret because he's scared of the maiden, even though the maiden has done nothing wrong at that point. Then she obviously feels betrayed when she finds out, because anyone would feel betrayed if they found out that their husband or wife was hiding a secret family and lying to them about it. Again, her response to this information was not okay, but I understand why she was upset. So yeah, those are the main lessons I'm going to take from this. Don't judge on appearances. Give people a chance. Those lessons apply to both the witch maiden who was unfairly judged by the king, and then the princess who was unfairly judged by the other king's mother, and then the last lesson is that sometimes hiding information or keeping a secret in itself can be a betrayal. Not always, but in certain circumstances. So there we go. Good lessons. Now, let's adapt this thing. It's going to be a stop-motion animation movie. We've got an astronaut visiting the moon to get rock samples. And obviously he's an animated character, but I'm picturing like a, like a Ben Schwartz type. And his ship breaks down when it lands on the moon... It's all messed up, and he can't fix it himself. And he thinks he's going to die. He puts on his spacesuit and just starts hopping around the moon, exploring. It's like, I might as well see 
some, some interesting stuff when he comes across an odd little hill on the dark side of the moon. And to his surprise, a little alien pops out. And the alien is surprised and wary, but is also super intelligent and is able to communicate with him. And the alien ultimately brings him into the little hill, and he sees that there are dozens of these little aliens who are all the children of the first alien. So they talk, and Ben Schwartz tells them about his ship and takes him to see it. And the, the main alien, he says he can fix it. Ben Schwartz is like, what, how? And the alien replies, we moved to the moon decades ago, but this is basically retirement for me. I come from a planet of millions of my people, and before retiring here, I traveled all over the galaxy. This, this ship is extremely rudimentary as far as I'm concerned. I, I can fix this, no problem. Ben's like, great, that's amazing, you're saving my life. But the alien says, well, I'll do it on one condition. You have to, you have to take my son with you. He's, he's often gazed at the Earth and always wanted to go there. If you want me to help you, you have to take him with you and make sure he'll, he's well taken care of on Earth. And Ben's like, yeah, okay, that's fair. And so the alien sets out fixing the ship, and Ben spends a few days with the family of the aliens. And one night, one of the main alien's children goes to him, and, and she says, you know, before we moved here, my, my father didn't just travel to different planets and worlds, he, he conquered them. That's why we're here. He's been learning about Earth for, from afar for years. And now that's why he's sending my brother to Earth. Not to live on Earth, but to help my father conquer Earth. And Ben is like, oh shit. Well, I, I have to get back to Earth to warn people. But by doing so, I'll also be bringing back this alien that might help his dad conquer Earth. So it's a, it's a bit of a dilemma. And this alien replies, you should convince my dad to let me go. Instead, then they wouldn't be able to take over the Earth because I won't help them. I won't help them conquer Earth. And Ben tries to do this, but fails. So he has no choice but to bring the bad alien child instead of the nice alien girl. And he has to get back to Earth to warn people, even if it means bringing the alien along. Because otherwise, it's just going to be delaying, you know, the aliens ultimately coming and conquering. So he's like, well, it's better to get, get there first and, and so I can warn people. Otherwise, they'll be totally oblivious to this threat. So he doesn't let on that he knows anything to the alien, and he lets the alien fix his ship and gets in with the alien's son, and they return back to Earth, and Ben Schwartz has to basically host this alien in his house and take care of him. And he, he tells a couple high-level people at NASA that he thinks the alien is there to take over the world, but they have to keep it quiet so the alien doesn't, doesn't find out that they know. And Ben Schwartz, he's got a wife and, he, and kids and stuff, but he thinks that they'd be in danger if the alien lived there. So the NASA guys give him a house to live in with, with the alien, like roomy situation. So Ben lives with the alien. They go on a press tour, and everyone's like, this alien is great. But NASA is secretly trying to research the alien and do tests without the alien realizing what's going on to figure out their weaknesses and like how to kill him and stuff. And as he spends time with the alien, however, Ben starts to kind of like him, which is difficult knowing that the alien is just tricking him and trying to conquer Earth. Anyway, people are loving this alien on their press tour, and there starts to be a big push from the world to bring more of the moon aliens to Earth, because people don't know they're planning on taking over the Earth. NASA, of course, doesn't do this, because they know that they are trying to conquer Earth, but out of nowhere, some asshole billionaire decides he's going to go to space and pick up a bunch of the aliens and take them back. And so he does this, and one of the aliens that gets brought back is the nice alien girl. And when Ben sees this, he's at home with the alien. Let's call the alien Steve. And Steve the alien is like, oh no. And Ben says, what, what, what do you mean? 
And Steve replies, that's my sister, Janet the alien. She hates that we have to live on the moon and it's made her hate Earth. She wants to take over the planet and enslave the humans. And Ben is like, wait, what? She told me you wanted to conquer Earth. And Steve says, oh, goodness, no. I've, I've always been fascinated by Earth, but she hates it. Father always knew that, and he tried to change her mind, but she's never stopped trying to get here and destroy this place. And, and now that she's managed to convince that asshole billionaire to bring her here, why the fuck did that guy go to space? Now that she's managed to convince that prick billionaire to bring her here, she'll certainly put her plan into action. Why did that billionaire insert himself into the situation and go to space and put it on television and shoved everyone's faces in it? What a dick. And he made it look like he was some hero or something for doing it, too. Fucking asshole. And Ben's like, yeah, I know, right? Fuck that guy. And Ben reveals his family to the alien, and the alien feels betrayed and hurt that Ben kept this from him. But Ben apologizes, and Steve is like, you know, I understand. You thought I was trying to conquer Earth. It's all right. Forgiven. And so they make up and are better friends than ever. And then they hear from one of Ben's NASA bosses that Janet the evil alien has broken into a top-secret army base that controls nuclear weapons. And so Ben and Steve, they fly in, and Steve is super intelligent, and so together they manage to break through Janet's defenses. And Steve pleads with her, telling her that he knows how lonely she's been on the moon and how angry it's made her, and he understands. But he's learned the value of friendship from Ben Schwartz the human, and she'd be so much happier if she embraces humanity instead of destroying or conquering humanity. And finally, she takes her hand away from the nuclear launch button, and Steve hugs her, and a single alien tear rolls down her face. And she moves in with Steve, and then we have a montage of them and Ben and Ben's family having happy fun times together at the beach, and going on vacation in Paris and Tokyo and places, and Janet falls in love with a human. And they have adorable human-alien hybrid babies. And they all live happily ever after. Roll credits. The end. And that will do it for this week's story session. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Come on back next week for a story titled Briar Rose. Is it about a flower in a briar patch? Is it about a girl named Rose who lives in a briar patch? Or are they just misspelling the name Brian? And it's just supposed to be a story about a guy named Brian Rose. Come on back next week and find out. My name is Zach Stewart, and these are the Shadow Bear Story Sessions. <laughs>